So we'll be in Mark chapter 5. We're going to finish off the chapter today. Um, So we're going to start in verse 21 and go through verse 23. So this is a long one. Bear with me. Jesus got into the boat again and went back to the other side of the lake where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. Then a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him. My little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. Jesus went with him, and all the people followed, crowding around him. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from from many doctors, and over the years she had spent everything she had to pay them, but she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Immediately the bleeding stopped, and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him, so he turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, Look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace, your suffering is over. While he was still speaking to her, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, and they told him, your daughter is dead. There is no troubling, there's no use troubling the teacher now. But Jesus overheard them and said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith. Then Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let them go with him, except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. He went inside and asked, why all this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead, she's only asleep. The crowd laughed at him, but he made them all leave. And he took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. uh, Holding her hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And the girl, who was 12 years old, immediately stood up and walked around. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed. Jesus gave them strict orders not to tell anyone what had happened, and then he told them to give her something to eat. So I want to ask you guys, as we start this off, have you ever been desperate, like we read here? Yeah, I have too. Um, I've been in, in situations in my life where I felt that, that my options had all but run out. Um, I didn't know how I was going to resolve whichever, whatever problem it was that I was facing um, at the time. Um, and, you know, most of you know that my, that, that, you know, I spent the majority of my adult life as a police officer um, in that career. I dealt with a lot of desperation. Um, I saw a lot of bad things. I've, I've been attacked and, and assaulted. Um, I've had people try to shoot me and stab me punch me, choke me. Uh, I've been involved in in shootings and crazy, reckless high-speed chases. I've talked people out of suicide. Um, The common denominator, though, through all of that, for most of those situations that I faced, was that one or more of the people involved were desperate. 
they were at the end of their rope, and they, they ended up making a bad decision and, and made their desperate situation actually even worse. So two weeks ago, we worked through Mark chapter 4. If you guys remember that, we saw the, the desperation of the disciples when they were faced with this, this kind of freak, massive storm that came up when they were out on, on their, their fairly small boat in the Sea of Galilee. And if you were with us for that lesson, then you'll remember that they, they also made a bad decision. They, they chose to respond with fear. And Jesus calls them out. If you remember that, uh, he, he, he called them out and, and said, why do you still have no faith? And we learned uh, that when presented with, with these giant problems in our life, people can choose to respond with, with fight or flight or, or fear, like the world tells us. Or we can respond with faith like God's word tells us to. Now, if you missed that lesson, if you missed that uh, lesson, or if you know somebody that could benefit from hearing it, remember we have this amazing uh, resource, the Truth Podcast at, at uh, PursueGod.org. Um, you can find it like on Spotify and stuff like that. But this is a really great resource if, you, if you're into podcasts or if your friends are, to be able to share what we're going through uh, in this, in this you know, uh, series every Sunday. You can share that with your friends and, and stuff, or you can just dig into it to get, you know, to get more stuff as, as you study with this. Um, to go along with your notes that you got here in the back of the room. But <clears throat> today we're finishing up Mark chapter 5 with this lesson on these two parallel healings. This is two different stories of two different women. One's a, a young lady and one's a little bit older. And their response choice we see here, which is different than the one that was made by Jesus' closest disciples. This time in these situations, we see a response of faith. But there are some, some you know, pretty interesting similarities here that are worth us taking a closer look because, of course, everything that we read in the Bible is given to us for a reason. Nothing is, is just thrown in there as, as fluff or as human interest. Nothing to just, you know, like you used to do in your 500-word your reports when you just add stuff to make them longer. That's not what's going on here. Every single word in this is here for a reason. And we, our responsibility is to really dig into this and, and find out what the lesson is and how to apply it <clears throat> excuse me, to our lives. But we've got five points, five comparisons uh, to make today. So I'm just going to get right at them. The first one is that, that both the father and the woman in this story are, are, are desperate to get Jesus' help. Now, we, we can understand with the father here with a, a, a daughter who is dying. Now, I don't have to explain the desperation of a, of a parent wanting their, their sick child to survive, right? We can all completely understand that. Some of us have, have experienced that, right? We've been desperate. We've, we've, we've seen our, 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 our kids, you know, in, in the ICU window, right? Or, or we've seen them taken by, by Life Flight or Air Med to a, to a hospital a long ways away, or, or we've seen them experience traumas or whatever that as a parent, we are, we are desperate in that moment to see them healed and to see them uh, made, made healthy. But the text here, it talks about, when it talks about this father, it says that he's a, a synagogue ruler. Okay, now a synagogue ruler, um, these, were, these were laymen um, that handled the, the administrative uh, 
goings-on of, you know, uh, of the synagogue, not, not the priestly things. They weren't really faith leaders per se. Um, their responsibilities would include things like taking care of the building and, and organizing and supervising the worship. So they're not necessarily at the, they're not at the same level of the Pharisees, but, but we know, I mean, they're working right in conjunction with these Pharisees. And we know from the lessons we've gone through over the last many weeks, we know that the Pharisees are up in everybody's business all the time. So we can't imagine that, that seeing this guy place his faith in Jesus would, would go over too well with the Pharisees, especially the, some, with somebody who, who works right there with them within the, the walls of the synagogue. But this father, he is, he's desperate enough to, to seek Jesus in this situation that he is willing to risk his livelihood and even his standing in the community. Because remember, these Pharisees, we've seen this uh, over the last several weeks, but we've seen this throughout the Gospels, that the, the Pharisees, like often they come, when they come talk to Jesus, they're like, hey, what about this sinner? Can we stone them? Right? They have all of these, like, these very serious and significant consequences um, uh, and, and punishment that they're seeking. So this guy knows this, but his daughter was dying, and he was out of options. Similarly, we see with the, with the other woman that she suffered for a great many years, and, and it says that she spent everything that she's got to pay doctors to help her, but, but it actually doesn't help. It actually gets worse. And since she can't bear children in this condition, and we got to know that in that culture, Jewish men would often divorce uh, a woman that was incapable of bearing children. So, so this woman has probably either never been married, or if this condition started after she was married, um, then then she's likely been divorced and remained single. <clears throat> now, in a society where single uh, celibate woman uh, women can't easily um, earn an income, this this illness that she has affected almost every area of her life, right? Uh, physically, certainly, and we understand that. Socially, there's, there's um, you know, there, this it affects her socially and financially, and we'll even see that there are spiritual implications of, of uncleanness that we'll get to here in a little bit. Now, some of you might be able to relate to, uh, to, to this woman here with her physical situation. Maybe you have a medical condition um, that you've been dealing with for a significant amount of time. And, 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 you know, whatever it could be, it could be all kinds of different things. But it, and maybe it's less severe. Maybe it doesn't quite interfere with, with your life to the same extent that it would with, with this woman. Or maybe it's even more troublesome than what she's dealing with. But I think, you know, many of us here could probably uh, understand how the constant never-ending stress of, of dealing with something that would affect so much of your life would be exhausting and just daunting. And she's probably just simply wanting uh, a break, right? She's probably just even a temporary break, just some relief for a little bit. But this woman was desperate enough to enter the crowd and, and break the rules, and we're going to kind of look at, at the, what the deal is with those rules here in a bit. But she's been dealing with this this condition now for so long that she uh, is willing to look for answers where she had never tried before, or never even considered before. And that's kind of the thing with with you know desperation for a lot of us, right? For a lot of people, is that it pushes us to a point where the choice that we make might not be a healthy one. 
But we see another similarity here in, in, the, in this, this time period of, of um, you know, 12 years, right? Um, it says that the little girl is 12 years old, and uh, in verse 25, it tells us that this woman has been suffering uh, for 12 years as well. And now often throughout the Bible, the number 12 can, can uh, represent restoration, Right, or it can represent spiritual resurrection that God wants to do in in people. It's represented in like the twelve uh, tribes of of Israel and the twelve disciples. But we have to be careful here too, because oftentimes a lot of people will will sort of resort to uh, numerology when they um, look at a passage like this. Now, numerology is. Um, the study of these mystical relationships that exist with with numbers and, and letters and uh, patterns. Um, a lot of times people will kind of use numerology when they read passages like this in the Bible to tr- sort of, you know, crack the code of what, of what God knows, right, of, of God's knowledge um, when that information just simply isn't for us, right? Our, our it's it's not we're not allowed to have it we're probably not even capable of of understanding it but oftentimes this is something that people kind of have a tendency to do so we got to be really careful about that but in this case this 12 years it shows up likely for the purpose of reminding us that these two stories are related that they need to be uh, told together so that we can understand a, a broader point of, of what the point of the passage is. And we have to remember that every single word that, that we are given here is intentionally put there for a purpose. And in 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17, it says, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So seeing the number 12 here, excuse me, seeing the number 12 here should catch the attention of Mark's audience, or, or in this case, for us. This ought to be something that we see and we look at and we go, okay, um, it's there because it, it we, we God's about to show us something. I, want, I wonder what he's about to show us about restoration. That's when we see that kind of thing, we want to, we want to uh, recognize that there is a bigger picture that's tying these two things together. Similarly, we, um, we see that, that in this text, both of the, of the women are labeled as daughter. Now, obviously, you know, every female on the planet is technically a daughter, but again, I believe that we are given these specific words for a reason. None of this is just happenstance. Okay, so uh, obviously the, the young girl, the dad's going to refer to him um, that way as, uh, as a daughter. But then in verse 34, we see Jesus refer to the other woman as daughter, even though she is not a biological daughter of his. See, this is a, this is a there's a reason for this. This is a countercultural um, thing happening here for Jesus to, to focus on women and even more so to affirm her personally. But what he's doing here is he's demonstrating to this specific individual woman and really then for, for every individual, for that matter, that we are all known to him, right? Every person matters to Jesus. Nobody is just a, a face without a, a name or a story. You're not just a face without a name or a story to Jesus. 
But he, Jesus refers to the older woman as, as daughter to remind us again that both of these stories are given together to make the same ultimate point. But here's something I thought was really interesting here is that um, although they are both referred to as, as daughter here, it's only the earthly father who shows desperation, right? Jesus isn't, isn't desperate here because he knows that, that the daughter that he refers to is in no danger at all. He knows that. And, and, you know, in Jeremiah, I don't have a slide for this, but in Jeremiah 29, verse 11, it says, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. See, Jesus knows this. This is why he knows that that. This, this woman is, is not in any danger, so he shows no desperation here. <clears throat> but let's move uh, on to the last two similarities here, which I think are uh, a bit deeper. The first one is that, you know, of, of the last two, I guess number four, actually, both the issue of blood and the, the death of the young girl would have meant ritual uncleanliness, yet it's, it's uh, physical contact with Jesus that healed them both. So we see in, in verse 41 that Jesus grabs the hand of, of, this, of this little girl, this, this little dead girl. Um, and that's a big deal because Jewish law forbade the touching of a dead body. In Numbers 19, verse 11, it says, All those who touch a dead human body will be ceremonially unclean for seven days. And there's a similar breach of, of sort of this social protocol um, with the other woman that we see in, in chapter 5, verses 27 and 28, when it says that she came up through the crowd and that she reached out and, and touched his, his robe. And she did this obviously on purpose. This was her intention to do this. In this case, uh, Jewish law is, is laid out in Leviticus 15. Um, I don't have a slide for this one either. It says, in verse 19 of Leviticus 15, it says, Whenever a woman has her menstrual period, she will, be, she will be ceremonially unclean for seven days. Anyone who touches her during that time will be unclean until evening. And then in Leviticus 15, 27, it says, If any of you touch these things, you will be ceremonially unclean. You must wash your clothes and bathe yourself in water, and you will remain unclean until evening. So in both of these situations explained here in in, Levit- in Leviticus and the one we just saw a minute ago in, in Numbers, if, if another person has physical contact of any kind with an unclean person, then they themselves would be considered unclean for a period of time. But this is what I want us to notice here. This is why, this is why Jesus called her out in the crowd. His, his goal isn't that he wants to embarrass her, right? That's not it. What he's doing is he's, he's validating her healing and her restoration to society, now, as I mentioned, these stories are, are uh, probably brought together with the story of the, the, the healing that we saw last week, right, the, of the, the demoniac, um, because they all have to do with ritual unclean, un, uncleanness. Um, because just like these ones today, according to Jewish law, contact with graves or, or, or you know, blood or, or death made one ceremonial and clean. And, and here's what this means and why we're talking about it. In Leviticus 10.10, 10, it says, you must distinguish between what is sacred and what is common, between what is ceremonially unclean and what is clean. Now, being unclean 
makes one uh, temporarily unable to participate in the worship ceremony. See, this keeps us distant from God. That's the that's what's going on here. Is is it keeps us distant? It keeps these people in this situation distant from God. Now, the parallel between sacred and and clean, or or with common and unclean reveals that, that this command was related to our, our spiritual condition, even though physical actions are often involved. But in the New Testament, Jesus used the idea of being clean to, to speak of being holy, right? To be of, of being set apart. That's what holy means. And it's used to speak about being cleansed from sin. In Luke 11, verse 39 and 40, he says to the Pharisees, now then, you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. Now, guys, there's nothing sinful about, um, about the woman's condition, right? Nor is there any reason to, to, to suspect anything sinful about the young girl's death. But they are symbolic of sin and the way that, that sin exists in the life of every single one of us and separates us from God. And that brings us then to our fifth and our uh, final similarity here which is the proper reaction to desperation and our solution to uncleanliness. And that is faith. So we see in verse 23, the, the father, he says, my little daughter is dying. He said, please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. Now, now this is Jairus and his faith, it, it really goes against and in the face of Jewish traditions by believing that Jesus has the power to save. And the, and the faith of the woman that we see in, in verses 28 and then responded to in 34, the faith of the woman caused her to risk everything to seek Jesus out. And she thinks, if I could just touch his robe, I'll be healed. And in 34, we see Jesus' response. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace, your suffering is over. See, Jesus commended both the father and the woman for their faith. But faith, like we mentioned in, uh, in Mark 4 a couple weeks ago, is a choice, and it doesn't come naturally to us. We saw that the disciples chose fear when they were facing a desperate moment, right? And when they were in that, in that, that daunting desperation, they chose fear, and, it, you know, we see a similar kind of thing with the crowd here in, in chapter 5. I don't have this slide, but in, in verse 38, if you're reading along, it says, When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. Now, in that culture, the tradition was when, when somebody died, there was professional mourners that would come to, to the home to, to mourn. They would usually be, it would usually consist of a couple of musicians and, and a woman who was a professional mourner. Um, and that was just, that was a cultural thing. And, and they would assemble immediately, um, obviously because, you know, there was not the technology to keep a body uh, fresh. So they had to do this right away, right? So they, they would do this um, immediately. And especially if this was you know, an expected death like it is with, with this young girl here. Um, and it says that, the text here says that the mourners have already gathered even before the father returns. But then 
Jesus' response to that in verse 39 is, why all this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead, she's only asleep. But then it says that the crowd began to laugh at him. So guys, we can, we can choose fear, we can choose sadness and mourning and wailing, right? Or we could choose hysterical laughter, but what we should choose is faith. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, maybe a lot of you have this memorized. This, if you don't, this is a great one to, to have memorized. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. See, it's only through faith in the perfect saving blood of Jesus Christ poured out as he was, was unfairly put to death on a cross for an, an, an uncleanliness that belonged to me, right? That belonged to you and believing that this was the only thing that could save us from condemnation and hell. But see, the last part here of that, of that passage explains that this is not a result of our works. Now, that's something that confuses a lot of people these days. Um, they believe that Jesus' sacrifice atoned for, for our sin only after we live good lives. But that would really truly suggest that Jesus' blood was only partially valuable, right? It would, it would suggest that, <clears throat> that it, it only put us over the top in, in God's eyes after I'm extra charitable to the, to the homeless guy on the, on the corner or, or when I demonstrate that I'm pretty good at following most of the laws in our society or, or some other crazy low worldly standard of what good deeds are. That, that doing that will somehow make God go, oh yeah, that and the gift of my son is, is good. But no, that's not, that's not the case. It's only the sacrifice of, of God's perfect son that could assuage the wrath of a perfect God. <clears throat> now, for both the woman and the father, um, their response here is completely different than what we saw from the disciples' reaction in the boat a couple weeks ago. See, it was only their faith that mattered. Their position in the community, even their position in the, in the church, doesn't matter, right? None of that, none of that matters. Guys, there are, unfortunately, there are people here in this church that haven't put their full faith in Jesus. And if that's you, maybe you feel like you, like you really like Jesus. Maybe you'd even go and tell people that you love Jesus. But if you haven't put your, your trust in him 100% for the forgiveness of your sins, if you don't understand that you are absolutely, completely helpless in that relationship, please don't wait another day, guys. Don't go one more day without figuring out where you stand with Jesus. There isn't another thing in your life that is more important than that conversation and that decision. Lastly here, I want to point out that, that the, the thing that we see at the, end of this, at the end of this passage, at the end of this chapter here, is... Something that Jesus does here, he goes on to tell the parents to give this little girl something to eat. Now, that might not seem all that important, right? As we read it, it's kind of a throwaway kind of thing. But as I've said many times today, it is included here for a reason. 
Now, the girl doesn't ask for food. There's no reason to think that she's hungry. But Jesus meets her need that he is aware of. And I think that's pretty important because, you know, guys, we, we, all, we, we all, we pray um, to, to have our, our needs met all the time. We can be really specific in those requests too, right? God, I need you to do exactly this, this, and this, and then have this be the exact kind of, you know, situation I end up with, right? That's how we kind of do it. We, we tell God how to be God. But the thing is, Sometimes Jesus blesses us with something that, that isn't what we asked for. It's not what we had in mind that we needed, but he knows that we need it anyways. And this demonstrates, guys, that he really truly is for us. He's concerned about our, ed, our ordinary worldly needs. Uh, but my friends, there are, um, there are a lot of different things, a lot of different desperations in our, in our lives that cause us to come to Jesus, but um, the thing that we all have in common is the opportunity to have a changed life through faith in Jesus. And I, I really, truly hope that you will experience that changed life too. Um, after all, we are all desperate. Every single one of us is desperate. Every single one of us is, is needing restoration. Every single one of us is a child of, of God individually loved by God, demonstrated in our opportunity for grace. Every single one of us is, is sinfully unclean. We have that sin that, that separates us from God, and, and ultimately every single one of us is dependent on faith that Jesus made a way for us to be reconciled with him. Will you guys pray with me? Lord God, I uh, thank you again, Lord, for the blessing that it is to stand up here and, and to, to be able to uh, share your word with, with people, Lord, what an honor that is. What an honor it is for all of us to be able to um, gather together with other believers with the sole intention of glorifying you, of lifting you, your name up and praising you and getting to know you better. The idea that we, that every single one of us that's that's unclean and sinful has the opportunity to be reconciled with you, to be back in a close, personal, right relationship with you, and that we have that hope of eternity with you, Lord, is, is something that, that probably no man on earth has ever fully been able to, to say thank you in the right way for. But Lord, thank you. We really truly are grateful for that, and, and I ask, Lord, that you would just be with us as we go this week. and. And, uh, and that we would, we would see um, the similarities between us and, and these two uh, situations that we read about today, and that we'd be able to apply this in our life, make these changes so that we can demonstrate our faith and be back in that relationship with you. But Lord, we give this message and this, and this final song of worship to you in Jesus' name. Amen.